Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up, tech giant Intel trying to save cash, cutting its dividend payout to its lowest level in over a decade. Twitter has been accused of aiding and abetting terrorist organization ISIS. The Supreme Court worked on the case today, which could have wide implications for all of America. Amazon closing a deal to buy a healthcare provider One Medical for billions of dollars, a key step in growing its presence in the healthcare industry. Is the Biden administration giving power to the World Health Organization to dictate the American pandemic response? A report indicates that it's possible. We speak with its author. The Mormon church under fire after allegations it used 13 shell companies to hide a huge investment fund worth $32 billion. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us. Don Ma here. Amazon pushing through an over $3.5 billion buyout of One Life Healthcare. It's part of Amazon's strategy to grow its healthcare business. The company operates primary care clinics under the name One Medical. The deal means Amazon can now offer on-demand virtual health services online and through an app, as well as providing quick in-person care appointments at brick-and-mortar locations in more than 20 U.S. markets. The sale went through just a day after the Federal Trade Commission said it wouldn't challenge it. Amazon is one of several giants expanding into the medical field. For the first year, one medical membership will cost $144 for new members. Amazon shares are up over 1% today. And talking about virtual healthcare services, what about having artificial intelligence diagnose diseases? Well, it seems many Americans are not yet comfortable with AI when it comes to healthcare. That's according to a new survey by the Pew Research Center. It found 60% of Americans wouldn't be comfortable with the healthcare provider relying on AI to diagnose their disease or recommending treatment. About 6 in 10 Americans also said they wouldn't want AI-driven robots performing parts of their surgery. And almost 8 in 10 said they wouldn't want AI involved in their mental health care. But not all are against AI when it comes to healthcare. 65% of survey respondents think using AI to detect skin cancer could improve accuracy, actually. Perhaps no community is more aware of the perils of artificial intelligence than sci-fi aficionados. But what happens when computers write the very stories they love? Sci-fi publication Clark's World has banned more than 500 accounts for submitting stories written by AI. AI programs like ChatGPT are able to quickly create all sorts of written works, including sci-fi stories. People are now submitting those stories generated by AI, hoping to get paid. Clark's World says the submissions appear to have come from people outside the normal sci-fi and fantasy community, and it seems to be a bit of a trend. Even academic journals like Science and Nature have made policies banning submissions assisted by artificial intelligence. On Wall Street, stocks ended mixed today. The Dow fell 85 points or 0.3%, S&P lost 6 points or 0.2%, the Nasdaq rose 15% or 0.1%. Intel on Wednesday cut its dividend payout to its lowest in 16 years as part of a plan to reduce big investments. Alex Cohen reports. A retrenchment at Intel. The technology giant cut its dividend payout Wednesday to its lowest level in 16 years. It also decided to scale back big investments to save cash as demand slows for its chips used in personal computers and data centers. 
Intel was once a leading chip maker, but is now trying to catch up to rivals on manufacturing technology. CEO Pat Gelsinger said Intel would hold back on tens of billions of dollars of investments on new manufacturing equipment and facilities. We have already committed to $3 billion in cost savings in 2023, which we look to exceed as a down payment on the $8 to $10 billion of structural savings we expect exiting 2025. The company is slashing its dividend by 66 percent, though it did reaffirm its first quarter forecast given last month. Analysts called the move painful but necessary to ensure the company has the money available for its manufacturing plan. Demand for Intel's chips has slowed after two years of strong growth during the surge in remote work. Intel's shares down over 2% today. Consulting giant McKinsey is planning to cut about 2,000 jobs in one of its biggest round of layoffs. That's according to Bloomberg. The move is expected to focus on support staff who do not have direct contact with clients. McKinsey is known for advising businesses on a variety of projects, including layoffs. The staff cuts are part of the firm's efforts to preserve the compensation pool of its partners. National Public Radio today also said it will lay off about 10% of its workforce or roughly 100 positions next month. Ex-Samsung employees have been caught stealing semiconductor technology and giving it to China. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. Former employees of Semis, a Samsung subsidiary, have been convicted and jailed for technology theft, according to the Wall Street Journal. Semis' trade secrets were reportedly stolen and transferred to Chinese companies. Semis produces equipment used in the semiconductor and display manufacturing process. The information obtained by the ex-employees were equipment design blueprints and a list of related components extracted through photos and misappropriated files from 2018 to 2020. A South Korean court released its ruling on Monday, sentencing a former researcher at Semis to four years in prison for illegally obtaining the company's proprietary technologies related to its semiconductor cleaning equipment and using those technologies to build similar tools destined for export to China. Six other ex-employees of Semis were also found guilty of technology theft and received sentences of up to two and a half years in prison. Semis itself was fined around $768,000. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And for today's special report, can social media companies be held responsible for aiding terrorism? The Supreme Court heard arguments today on whether Twitter can be sued for allegedly aiding ISIS. What they decide will have broad implications for the future of the Internet. The case, Twitter versus Tamne, began when an ISIS gunman entered a club in Istanbul. He opened fire on the crowd and killing and injuring dozens of people. The family of one victim then brought the lawsuit, accusing Twitter of aiding and abetting ISIS. It says Twitter was aware that ISIS supporters were on its platform and that ISIS members benefited from using the platform. Lawyers for social media companies say they've worked hard to remove ISIS content. They claim their platforms didn't directly cause the nightclub shooting. If Twitter loses, it means social media companies could potentially be found responsible for some terrorist attacks. This could bring a wave of lawsuits that could transform the entire industry. During the Supreme Court arguments, the nine justices questioned lawyers from both sides about their case. The lawyer representing the Tamne family, Eric Snapper, says that unless someone walked up to Twitter and pointed to an ISIS post, Twitter wouldn't do anything. 
He also accused Twitter of recommending these problematic posts. So why is the recommendation aiding and abetting? Insofar as the recommendations were affirmatively calling the attention uh, of of users to ISIS materials, um, that would that would be extremely uh, valuable uh, to ISIS in recruiting more uh, fighters, um, which was that of has course nothing to do with the attack. So you say the at- this particular attack, they didn't have to have any knowledge or awareness or uh, assistance with respect to the particular attack. That is precisely our position. Meanwhile, the lawyer representing Twitter, Seth Waxman, pointed out that the Tamnay family is not accusing Twitter of intentionally aiding ISIS terrorist activities. He also says, according to the definition of the law, Twitter did not aid and abet ISIS. The plaintiffs claim that because defendants were generally aware that among their billions of users were ISIS adherents who violated their policies and therefore defendants should have done more to enforce those policies does not constitute aiding and abetting an act of international terrorism under the operative terms of the text, the constitutional principles articulated in Halberstam, or any recognized understanding of what it means to abet a criminal act. The justices were heavily focused on the text of the Anti-Terrorism Act, which the Tamney family is accusing Twitter of violating. The justices were particularly focused on these words from the law. Liability may be asserted as to any person who aids and abets by knowingly providing substantial assistance or who conspires with the person who committed such an act of international terrorism. Justice Sonia Sotomayor says what that exactly constitutes substantial assistance and what it means to knowingly provide that assistance are at the heart of this case. For more insight on the case in general, we spoke to attorney Gerard Felitti. He's done a lot of legal work fighting terrorism. This is the ultimate question, whether Twitter recommended content that helped aid and support these terrorist organizations. And that was not really clearly answered today, and which I think is why the justices will be giving a lot more thought and discussing this in conference. And we can't really predict an outcome based on today's hearing. Felitti says that it's very timely that the court is working on this case today. Over the past few years, there have been many cases involving the Anti-Terrorism Act, but different circuit courts have been sending out different opinions. Now the Supreme Court can clarify what the exact standards are for suing someone over supporting terrorism. Twitter says it has taken action to remove pro-terrorism-related content. Felitti says a key question is whether they do enough. If Twitter can create algorithms that identify disinformation when it comes to COVID or alleged disinformation when it comes to COVID and can weed out, you know, eliminate or ban former President Trump, then why can't it do the same, apply those same algorithms to prevent terrorist speech and the recruitment and furtherance of terrorist goals on the Internet? If the Supreme Court rules in favor of the Tamney family, the lower court will determine how much Twitter must pay the family. The decision may broadly impact the economy, hitting banking, tech, and even the U.S. government. If the Supreme Court rules in favor of Twitter, the case will be dismissed. A decision on this case is expected before July. Moving on. A $5 million fine, 13 shell companies, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 
found itself in some hot water recently over a huge investment fund. It has agreed to settle allegations that it tried to hide the fund from the government. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the story. The Securities and Exchange Commission says the LDS Church and its investment manager agreed to pay a $5 million fine connected to the charge that the church hid an approximately $32 billion investment fund. The SEC says the church was concerned disclosing the fund would lead to negative consequences. To settle the lawsuit, the LDS Church agreed to pay $1 million of the fine. Their investment firm, Ensign Peak Advisors, will pay the other $4 million. It all began with a damaging whistleblower complaint filed by a former Ensign Peak investment manager with the IRS in 2019. It accused the church of accumulating about $100 billion in accounts intended for charitable purposes. The complaint further alleged that the church was deceiving its members by keeping their donations instead of using them for charity. Ensign Peak, which is run by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, reportedly didn't file the correct forms to disclose the investments. The SEC says the investment firm instead created 13 shell companies with the church's blessing and had the shell companies file the forms. However, those shell companies were under the control of Ensign Peak and the forms were signed by managers mostly employed by the church. An SEC official stated that the LDS church went to great lengths to avoid disclosing the church's investments. In a statement, the LDS acknowledged mistakes were made and said it now considered the matter closed. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Meanwhile, the White House today unveiled a plan to reduce mortgage insurance fees, mostly for low- and middle-income and first-time buyers. The move will cut mortgage insurance fees paid by new borrowers who take out loans insured by the federal government. The White House estimates 850,000 borrowers would each save about $800 a year on a typical loan. The Biden administration is trying to make home buying more affordable. Home financing costs have skyrocketed over the past year. The average rate on a 30-year mortgage jumped to its highest level since November. Meanwhile, home sales dropped to their lowest level in more than 12 years last month. The change will take effect on March 20th. President Biden issued an executive order to advance so-called racial equity last week. It contains a new obligation for federal use of artificial intelligence. Entities Christina Kim has the story. President Biden's new order on racial equity is sparking criticism. It calls on federal agencies to use artificial intelligence and automated systems in a manner that advances equity. The order highlights the term algorithmic discrimination, citing a definition from the White House's recent Blueprint for AI Bill of Rights. The phrase refers to the unjustified different treatment or impacts of automated systems on people of specific color, race, gender, or those with disabilities, language barriers, and so on. However, political influencers and tech experts are sounding the alarm. Journalist Christopher Rufo, a leading critic of critical race theory, warned that the new order has a special mandate for woke AI. Software developer John Schlinkert voiced concerns for the future generation. He tweeted, AI is about to change the world in unprecedented ways. The last thing we need is an AI that promotes racial division and discrimination. Others fear Biden's order will backfire and allow AI to further promote racial prejudice. And a group of states has asked a federal judge to block a Biden administration rule about retirement plans. The rule impacts millions of Americans' retirement savings and states' finances. It took effect at the end of January and allows retirement plans to consider the so-called ESG factors in investing. 
ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance. A group of 25 states led by Texas and Utah challenged the rule in a Texas federal court yesterday. They said it could lead to millions of Americans losing retirement investments and harm states' finances. They also said the rule violates federal law because it allows retirement plans to focus on social issues rather than long-term financial stability. The World Health Organization could soon have the authority to control America's policies during a pandemic. This is according to an Epoch Times report. The Biden administration is preparing to sign up the United States to a legally binding accord with the WHO that will allow this. This legally binding accord is called the Zero Draft. The Zero Draft grants the WHO the power to declare and manage a global pandemic emergency. And once a health emergency is declared, all signatories of the Zero Draft, including the United States, would submit the authority to the WHO. So what does this exactly mean? We speak to the author of the Epoch Times report. Joining me is Kevin Stockland, Epoch Times reporter. Now, Kevin, on this Zero Draft document, just tell us more about what would it mean for the U.S. if this document were to be ratified? Yeah, so this zero draft of the pandemic accord with the WHO would basically centralize authority with the WHO um, during a pandemic. It gives the WHO the right to declare when a pandemic is in effect. And once it is in effect, it gives the WHO the right to direct the global response to that pandemic. And why should we care about this? So what if the, the WHO has this power? Yeah, so the authorities that it would give to the WHO would be things like what medicines uh, can be used to treat a pandemic. So, for example, uh, can we have uh, treatments or are we forced to use vaccines? It would also have the WHO directing supply chains, what medicines are available and to whom. There are also provisions about the WHO controlling misinformation or what they like to call disinformation about a pandemic. So what information gets out there? about pandemics and treatments and things like this. And lastly, there's an element of surveillance. So it has a global uh, aspect of surveillance that is also directed by the WHO, uh, how the pandemic is spreading, who's uh, taken a vaccine. It could include things like vaccine passports and things like that. So essentially, we would have a central power dictating every aspect of how the U.S itself should respond to its own pandemic situation. That's what this agreement states, yes, is that the WHO would be the central directing authority if the WHO declares a pandemic. And, and I understand you wrote an article about this on the Epoch Times. You talked to a number of people. What do they say about this? What are they telling you? You know, there's a lot of concern. I think there's a lot of alarm. Uh, people feel that they're, they're personal health treatments should be their own concern and something that they should be able to determine. Uh, there's been some concern from doctors that don't like the fact that the WHO would be able to dictate what, what they can prescribe and uh, even what information they could possibly give out. On the flip side, there are some people that feel like, well, you know, this is never going to pass Congress. Uh, it, it'll be challenged by the courts. And so this is nothing that we really need to worry about. And. Is, is this something that we should be worried about? Is Congress going to turn down this, uh, this agreement? Well, this is absolutely a gray area. So on the one hand, the agreement itself 
is drafted so that it does not need any legislative approval from any member country to go into effect. As soon as it's signed by uh, Biden or whoever would sign it, this agreement goes into effect in and of itself. Now, the other uh, part of this question is to what extent this becomes the law of the land in the United States and supersedes state authority and local authority. Um, that is a gray area. So treaties do need to approve, do need to be approved by two thirds of the Senate. However, what people don't recognize is that increasingly uh, international agreements are being signed in the form of what's called executive agreements, and that basically does not require Senate approval. Uh, over the last 50 years, 90 percent of the international agreements that the United States has signed up to uh, have been in the form of executive agreements. They have not gotten Senate approval. This includes things like the Paris uh, Climate Accord um, and the Iran nuclear deal and things like this. So whether this actually will require Senate approval uh, is a gray area. Now, I presume the motivation for this zero draft is for a possibly more efficient response to a health crisis. So in your article, you also talked about centralized pandemic response. Is that better than individualized response, in your opinion? You know, that that's questionable as well. So this uh, agreement very much would centralize authority with uh, so-called health experts um, in Geneva. Um, but let's take a look at what happened during COVID. Uh, these kind of central authorities brought us things like lockdowns, school closures, vaccine mandates, mask mandates. And so much of this did nothing to prevent the spread of the virus and turned out to be hugely counterproductive. So um, I think it is highly questionable whether centralizing decision-making in, in, in a small group of experts and committees is a wiser way to go when there's a health emergency. Thank you very much today for giving us uh, your very helpful insight, Kevin. Pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me on. Member states of the WHO will gather in Switzerland next week to negotiate the final terms of the accord. Meanwhile, over a dozen U.S. senators have introduced a bill that would require the treaty to be ratified by a supermajority in the Senate. Going to break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Starbucks unveiling new coffee drinks with an unexpected ingredient. And New Yorkers enjoy an exhibit dedicated to miniature art. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Starbucks is adding an unexpected ingredient to its newest cup of joe, olive oil. The coffee chain is introducing a new line of drinks made with a spoonful of extra virgin olive oil. The new line includes the Oleato Latte, the Oleato Ice Shaken Espresso, and the Oleato Golden Foam Cold Brew. Starbucks will make the new beverages available at its cafes in Italy this week. Versions will hit Southern California this spring. Starbucks says the drinks will eventually go global sometime this year. From a mushroom painting to a candy beach, all things miniature can be seen at the exhibit called Small is Beautiful. It just opened its doors to visitors in New York on Tuesday. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. This exhibit of tiny things just opened its doors in New York. 
Small is Beautiful is the biggest international exhibition dedicated to miniature art, according to the company running the event. 130 plus pieces of miniature artwork here from 32 artists across the world. And with each new city we come to, we like to create new pieces of art, especially from local artists. So here we're featuring five or six American artists, even one New York-based artist. The miniature art forms on display range from sculpture to origami. The artists able to, to create these tiny figures, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing, yes. I feel like a kid. <laughs> the exhibit was initially created on social media, but drew tens of thousands of in-person visitors in Paris and London. Honestly, you cannot appreciate the miniature art just through the phone or through a photo. You have to see it in real life, the details, the intricacies. That's why you need to immerse yourself in it. We offer people magnifying glasses and there's microscopes and you could come see this exhibit three times and see new things each time you come through. Colin Fredrickson. NTD News. And that's all today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.